This episode is brought to you by Sleep Number. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. And with Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping and gives you personalized insights for your best sleep. Stick around. You stick around. (laughs) Later in the episode to hear a special segment from us and Sleep Number. Bye. Everybody loves a lover. I'm a lover. Everybody loves me. Anyhow, that's All right, dear listener, welcome to yet another riveting installment of In Bed with Nick and Megan, starring Nick Offerman, What's up? featuring Megan Mullally. Ooh, wow. <laughs> Featured guest player. That's the highest I could negotiate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But this week, we have the guest star to end all guest stars, Mr. Andy Richter. Hello. Ooh. Hello, pod world. Sound trumpet. This is a lovely bed. Well, thanks. It truly is in bed, yeah. Yeah, you're in our bed. Yeah. I mean, again, I should add. Is there any any point that you thought, like, this is a terrible mistake to invite people into your bed? Not Not yet. Not yet? But you just got here, so. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see how relaxed I get, how, how... how undressed I get. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, We could get under the covers. You know, that's always an option. It hasn't happened yet, but right. today, this could be the Well, day. you know, we can't, you can't force that. No. Mm-hmm. It has to be organic. Let it happen, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how do we all know each other, one wonders? I guess from the show, from first, the opponent show. Well, the, I think the first time I met you would have oh. been when I did a guest spot on... Right. Will and Grace. Yeah. I played Alec Baldwin's friend that got set up on a date with Grace. I oh, think. yes. Although I had been on Conan already. Had you? I, I couldn't remember. Show yeah, yeah. That I did. And what year was that? Because I may have been gone. Um, It was early, early on. It was toward the beginning. It was before I met Nick. So it must have been. 98 or 99. Oh, yeah, then I would have been there. I'm hold, sorry. Hold up one second. Are yeah. you telling me that you don't remember the order <laughs> of done guests that you met 40, on 5,000 episodes? I, I, <laughs> I actually just the other day, because, you know, one thing that's really a wonderful thing lately is that our entire archives were made available to us to make available to other people, which was, which is something, you know, which is really, yeah. yeah, And I mean, because it is kind of like, you know, one of the best things truly about my work life is that I was on a show that was meaningful to young comedy people in the same way that when I was a young comedy person, there were meaningful shows to me. So that's like really something that i mean it's not like not like you know we're saving lives but it's certainly within the realm of my chosen profession it is kind of paying it forward in some way it's like you know Mm -hmm. just because it is you learn how to be funny by watching other people be funny and how you can sort of be the kind of funny you want to be and and maybe you're not saving lives but you are delivering medicine that's true 
we they've been letting out these clips. They've been releasing these clips of remotes that we did in, you know, 1994 and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and and there was one that I I rode on what's called the Beauty Bus, which was a, a bus to the Hamptons that was basically a spa. So you get in in Manhattan, and by the time you get to the Hamptons, you've had a manicure and a pedicure, and your hair set and washed, or whatever the hell you do. And I, I just retweeted oh, as, it. As if you're not deeply familiar with a manicurist. <laughs> Go on. I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm self because I'm barefoot right now, and I just last night, I have a habit of murdering my toenails far too deeply sure like that like i'm afraid that somehow they're going to outshine me so i always need to keep them stunted and tiny it's pragmatic uh, yeah yeah um yeah no, there's less time between trimmings but um no i i, I retweeted this remote with, with just the caption and it was true no recollection i had absolutely no recollection of any of that and i had obviously spent an entire like saturday on this bus because i did end up in the hamptons because i said no recollection and i didn't watch it and then an hour later i had time to watch it still no recollection wow. whatsoever. yeah it's just it's you know it's literally thousands of hours of television yeah. Oh, yeah. and it just i mean i can understand how you wouldn't remember every guest but i was naked yeah so I remember. I mean, I would think I mean, that that would at wow. least trigger something. Well, I can't. You, we couldn't air that. No. Oh, there. Did we you did. do just like yeah, the like arm across the, the nipples and the you know, and the fig leaf. The hand is fig leaf. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's I. Um, that's been a a weird foible of my life for many years. Is have I? actually met this person or are they just famous you know like oh, yeah. I've done I've and I've met I was at a concert and Alan Thicke was there and I was talking to Alan Thicke as if well Alan Thicke has obviously had to have been on the show and then he at, you know we're talking for 10 minutes very familiarly and he's like so are you guys ever going to get me on the show Oh no! It was like <laughs> I thought we were pals. Yeah. Oh boy! Oh, I think when you get to a certain age, though, whether you're on a nightly talk show or not, you start to think that you know everybody. Yes. You start to think you went to high school with every single yep. person. Yeah, oh, yeah, and it's a it's a safe assumption. <laughs> the other night, Chris Parnell was on Will and Grace, and I was there, and uh, we stopped to say hello. And he specifically, I had that so strongly because his voice uh, and his face, his whole thing is so ubiquitous. Yeah. Like it's... Uh, Voiceovers on commercials. He narrates and... my dreams well, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. He couldn't remember if he'd met you and you couldn't remember if you'd met him. So that's sort of interesting. Yeah. Usually one or the other. Well, I'm pretty sure. I know that we have had friendly talking and probably backstage at Saturday Night Live. Yeah. So, Andy, you, Andrew, if I may. Um, you may. You now also have a podcast. Three I do. Questions. The Three Questions, yeah. Yeah. I had been Team Richter, as I like to call them. Uh, you're the agents, the managers, the lawyers, the uh, fluffers. Uh, um, they, they had said, my manager especially, you should do a podcast. You should do a podcast. And I felt, Nick and I were talking earlier about our Midwesternisms, and I have... Uh, fear of feeling dilettantish or coming across as dilettantish. And I thought that I don't really listen to podcasts. They're not really my thing. 
Like, I don't know, you know. And I also, too, I have the very entitled, spoiled, old person thing of I've been on television for a long time. So for me, you know, the notion of when I, you know, when YouTube started becoming something and people were doing things for YouTube, it's like, <laughs> well, enjoy that. It's, you know, it's like having a yard sale, you know, as opposed <laughs> as opposed to opening a, a Nordstrom's, you know, yeah. like, and so I was always like, well, there's no money in it. Why would I, why would I toil in this thing for no money? And then of course, as time goes on, like A, there is a little bit of money in it. And then B, I don't care anymore. I just want to do things that are fun. I'm, right. you know, I mean, I don't that you get to a point and it's like mm, enough, you know, and like, how much do you need, right. you know, that kind of thing. And, and so it is like, yeah, no, I just, it is the keeping busy and, and doing things. Um, and what the main part of it was that when I finally, however many months ago decided, yes, I will do a podcast. Like the, I don't interface a lot on the Conan show with like future plans. I don't like, I don't go to meetings cause I don't like meetings. I hate meetings. So I don't ever hear any of the things until they're let right upon me, which is also a function of my laziness. Like saying like, I like it to be spontaneous as a way, like no homework. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just just, just tell me about it when it was on the day, yeah, you know, we'll, and let's just make it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when I decided, yeah, I'll do a podcast like two days later, trumpets conan's doing a podcast i was like oh fuck. <laughs> he beats me to everything um so but then i i decided i mean i did it through his company because it's you know it just makes sense to kind of do it for team coco i know everybody there and i love everybody there and um and i just had the idea too you know i've been going through a lot of stuff in my life and i just wanted to have uh meaningful conversations about life and kind of this stuff. I always have been interested. The thing about my job that's most interesting to me is the commercial break conversations that I have with people. Mm -hmm. And they're very much about like, tell me about your kids, you know, t about human things. Like I don't, cause I don't, I sat there again for thousands of hours and heard promotion of things. It's all, you know, it, it's, it's entertainment, but it also primarily is promotion. Mm -hmm. What we do, you know, the, at least the interview part. And so I just, I like to talk to people and get a sense of who they really are. And, and so that's, I, I came up with the concept of the three questions being, where do you come from, where you're going and, and what have you learned? And just, it gives people, it's like those, I would get notes at the beginning. They're like, we don't feel like you're really specifically addressing the questions. And like, and somebody actually gave the note of like, maybe we could split the show up into 20 minute blocks and you could have the three questions. Be, and I just was like, that's the dumbest thing. No, like, yeah. And it's like, no, we are answering the questions. Well, They're just not explicit. Now yeah. it's time to yeah. answer this. Plus it's, who's grading it? Like, I, know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, you know, people have to give notes. Sure. It's their job. You can't, you can't continue in show business facilitating projects if you go i trust the people making the project yeah, right. i think you, it's going to be great you'd be you know, you, job. Yeah, yeah you would they would go like after a while they're like you just say okay to all these people's creative choices why do we need you what here kind of to executive do that? Yeah. are you yeah. so you gotta make up like oh, i have a problem with you know so hmm. but it, it also just it gives it gives the person coming in the notion of what they're in for what kind of conversation they're going to be in for you know and yeah. i and it's the way 
it's all therapy too. It's I've been I've been in therapy for a million years, and it's a, it's a particular language that um, I'm very conversant in, and that I enjoy uh, other people who are too. And I don't mean that it's like because it's 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 not like it's a gimmick, or it's not like it's uh, I don't know some sort of cultish mannered thing. It's just. Can you talk about your feelings in an open, accessible way? And people that can do that are the most interesting people to me. And people that can't do that are by, you know, in opposition, not that interesting to me. If you can't deal with your feeling, if you can't talk about your feelings in a way that where it's like, A, unashamedly, because we all got them, you know, and, and then, and B, uh, frankly, I, 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 you know, it's it's not a good conversation. It's not necessarily an interesting conversation. Yeah. Great. <clears throat> yeah. The, those are the conversations that really inspire me are when people start talking about real things and not just about issues. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. People think, too, because, like, I'm, although I'm less so now, I took kind of a break from politics in the last few months just because I'd had enough and I had too many other things going on. But I'm a political person. Oh, there's my... nothing, nothing's been happening in politics, so it's a great time yeah. to bow out. <laughs> well, yeah, honestly, it's going great. Honestly, I mean, nothing's really happening, but how <laughs> no. much, what am I going to do about it, you know? <laughs> right. And that was like, no, and, and... Everything is happening. Yeah, because, uh, you know, so I just, like I say, I just kind of took a break and didn't, like, take on every single news story that came on because I do... There especially comes down to elections and I could before the first primary, you know, tune back in two days before the first primary. I mean, I know who I'm voting for anyway. So it's like I don't have to pay attention until the primaries up until then. This is all. Yeah, this is all scary nonsense. Uh, I mean, nonsense in the sense that it, it's absurd and doesn't make any sense. But there's not a lot I can do about it. Right. So um, but I people want think that I want to talk about politics at a party and it's like no because it's kind of you know like talking about you know it's better for your leg not to be broken you know we don't need to go on and on about well, it you know you do have one of the great twitter accounts oh thank you very much yeah. and i mean but you do everything you do comedy and yeah. you also get political but i you know early i i started on social media late and i remember early on i posted something and somebody said something mean and I DM'd you. I was like, oh, I don't know. You were like, oh God, you know. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, gotta get, get a thick skin yeah. quick. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and I can now anticipate if I talk about, you know, something that happened at lunch, just the fact that I mentioned lunch, I'll get like, maybe you ought to lay off the food, fatso. You know, <laughs> like I just know that's coming because I mentioned, yeah, right. I mentioned nourishment. Yeah. You know, the partaking <laughs> of of nourishment. Uh, you get, I got, I've gotten used to it, and I do have a very thick skin about it, and I, um, much less so. Although it is weird, because still, there's still like some fucking stranger will say one little thing, and it'll just like be a crochet hook in my nostril pulling me. And I'm like, oh, you motherfucker. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I will, will address them publicly. And then I get people like, don't pick on people below you. To yeah. which I, then I'm like, hey, I'm a fucking human. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no I'm, yeah, I get pissed. Yeah. Like I'm good. You know, the reason that I do Twitter is because uh, 
because I'm a human being and I have things to say and I want to share them and like, and I do, and I think, you know, I'll think of something funny in the car and I want to tell somebody. So this is a great way to, you know, just like silly jokes that I, if I was somebody was sitting next to me, I would tell them. Mm -hmm. um, but I get to share it and I always like. Well, and, and also, you know, you said somebody below you, there's no below or above. I know, I know. Well, they just trying to do our best. They mean that in the sense of yeah, like yeah. somebody with 30 followers mm -hmm. says something stupid to me and I bring that, drag them into the sunlight and then mm -hmm. a bunch of people bully them that oh. are, you know, supporters. I'm making air quotes of mine. So yeah, you do have to be aware of the notion of of promoting bullying. But then there's other, you know, then there's other times where, like, I want I did um, a series of tweets once, and I was in I was in a I had suffered from depression my entire life. I've been medicated for years and years and years, and there was somebody somebody retweeted into my timeline in in a like in a to contradict this person. Just somebody tweeted, uh, depression is a choice. Oh, God. And I, and just something about it, it was in the morning and something about it that day, I said, because <laughs> I, I think I said, I quote tweeted it and said, uh, and I said, and go fuck yourself is a directive. <laughs> um, and then I dropped my daughter, because it was in the morning, I dropped my daughter for at school and I was still mad enough that I pulled over to the side of the road and did it, uh, a thread of tweets about what it's like to really carry depression around with you. Mm -hmm. And like I called it an emotional limp. Like no matter no matter how fulfilling my life can be, I will get to the end of it having had a lesser experience than a lot of people. And that's just the way it is, you know? I suffer from depression too. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, you know, I a lot of people took me to task for publicly sort of attacking that person who has a lot less followers and a lot less leverage. But I explained to them, if I had just out of the blue said, here's what depression is like, it wouldn't have gotten nearly as much attention yeah. as the fact that there was a little bit of a, like a, a smackdown at the top of it. That gets eyes on it. Right. And then if you have something useful to say, I think it's, you know, you have to kind of weigh it all out. But also too, somebody saying depression is a choice, they should have, they should, I think, because we're, we're all humans saying what we feel, they should get some sense of like the, the magnitude of the wrongness of that, well, yeah. the it, weight of the wrongness of what they're saying. If, so if they sorry, had, you know. If it, if it had been a, a conversation that's maybe much further down the road, if they had said homosexuality is a choice. Yeah, yeah. Then it's like, well, yeah, this is a public forum. Right. That needs correcting. Right. I'm going to choose to correct with yeah. a, a firm slap of my hand. Yeah. But and and depression is a choice kills people. That that attitude kills people. Mm -hmm. Um and and having done that and then being on some podcast talking explicitly about depression is and I'm I'm really loath to be like I'm going to because of my position in the public eye, I am going to share what I know and change lives. It always seems so grandiose, you know, and I mean, sure. and people have done that in a very grandiose kind of way. But I, talking frankly about mental health, I have had just so many, I mean, really, truly, so many personal interactions with people telling me how meaningful that is to them mm -hmm. and how, and at least 
six, seven, eight times, somebody saying, I never want, I, I'm going to therapy because I heard you talking about therapy. Mm. And I, that's like, Jesus Christ, I'm a, you know, I'm a clown. Like I'm, my job is to be silly. And here I am like making people overcome their bad programming to have a better life. You know, it's just, it's, it's, and it's kind of like what I want to do with my podcast is like, talk about your feelings. And especially, especially for men, you know, I'm not, I'm like Dr. Phil. I'm not crazy about Dr. Phil and I'm not crazy about. <laughs> I was just about to say, I mean, you don't want to become Dr. No, Phil. no, no. You're, that's. But, but the, I don't like that you think that you can go on TV and I talk for six minutes and then a guy yells at you and fixes things <laughs> right. like that. But he is getting people to talk about their feelings. Sure. He, it is a nugget of the talking cure. He's you know? sort of the showbiz version of what you're after. Yes. Yours is With, substantial and human. Yeah. And it's, but it also is spectacle because like in that you are, you know, I think the key to Dr. Phil is the smackdown. Yeah. Uh, something that you are great great at is you're a great dad thank you no i and how, um, what has that been like for you in your life i mean has that been one of the great joys for you i know oh absolutely i was a i was a dad long before i was a dad like i was always kind of like and it's funny too because my son's 18 and um his friends call him dad because <laughs> he's the one he's the one that'll be like um you smoke too much weed, I'm going to drive or leave your car here or guys, I don't think we should go down there, you know, da go down, you know, I don't think we should jump this fence at night, you know, they call yeah. him dad. So he's kind of inherited it from me. And it's, it's kind of partially, it's kind of worry and, and over concern, but it's also just like, like, I, like for me, my dadness my version of dadness as a, as a young person in Chicago during my salad days, uh, hanging out with three friends. It's like almost one o'clock in the morning and somebody says, let's drop acid and go to the Indiana dunes and watch the sun rise. And I was like, nah, I don't think that's a good idea, guys. I mean, it's kind of a long drive. You know, it's a couple <laughs> a couple of hours at least. I was like, I don't know, guys. I mean, and I, I it got to the point where I realized I'm not going to win this one. So my my thing was like, all right, we'll drop acid and go to the dunes, but I'm driving. Like, you know, like, yeah. like I was like, you know, and and I driving past Gary, Indiana and the steel plants and there was like steam coming up from them and as I'm driving by it, it looked like there was like they were purple and had veins like it was some sort of like alien egg sack <laughs> and I'm driving along just just you know and then and then when we got to the dunes too it was super foggy you couldn't see five feet in front of you <laughs> and I'm I'm just sitting there like I need music turn the radio on for about 30 seconds no music can't take music need the window open window open no 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 the window open I don't like it's too much it's too much too much sensation but you know that and that's sort of I've been a dad forever and it always was kind of like <laughs> the job that I knew I was I was set out to do um, I and, always called Nick dad or some offshoot of that pop, papa, papa. Yeah, you're very, yeah, you're very paternal too. Well, you know? 
It's, uh, yeah, I mean, through, kind of through no fault of our own. I mean, I, I was brought up that way of yeah. like, okay, and I, and I was the rebellious one in my family, but but there's a sense of, okay, rules are made to be broken and let's have some fun. Yeah. But to a certain extent, you guys, yeah, let's yeah. use our common sense. Right, here. exactly. Can yeah. you even drive a stick, you know? Right, right, right. And also there are rules and there's a reason there are rules and there's, you know, morality and there's, you, you know, you don't just, the world is not uh, truly your oyster. It's all of our oyster and let's, you know, <laughs> let's have an oyster bake. Um, a friend of mine was telling me, because I was just over time, I'd talk about, you know, things that I do with my kids, a lot of cooking and a lot of whatever. And she told me, she said, you're more like a mom than a dad. <laughs> and and I thought, well, yeah, because my folks divorced when I was four. And I didn't really have kind of the classic paternal presence in my life. Mm -hmm. So I do kind of think I am just momming. Did you have uh, brothers and sisters? Yeah, I had an older brother. I have an older brother who's three years older than me. Mm -hmm. And then my mom remarried and she had uh, twins when I was nine, oh. a, a boy and a girl. Um, so my younger brother and sister are nine years younger than me. Um, did you take care of them? I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, when there's twins, yeah. You get you better you got to change diapers. And you are old enough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, uh, changing diapers, feeding kids, hmm. watching them cuz twins are a handful. Hmm. I mean, it's when they got to be toddler stage, they would uh thought it was funny to run in opposite directions at the mall or whatever. <laughs> uh, giggling, laughing, and then hiding uh the big circular clothes racks, mm -hmm. you know? the dead space in the middle of there, go and hide in there and be real quiet so nobody can find me. Yeah. Fucking hilarious when a two-year-old does that, three-year-old does that. That is fun. Uh, what a riot. Yeah. The kid's missing. Hardy har. <laughs> can we talk about what's been going on in your... Yeah, somewhat. I mean, in vague terms, yeah, I'm, I'm going through a divorce right now. Mm -hmm. um, we were married for 25 years and uh, it's it's a big change and it's, you know, it's very awkward. And like I say, I don't want to get into too many particulars yeah. other than to say, like, it's awful. It's just awful. And uh, and but it's, you know, we're we're learning and we're growing. And, and I certainly came from a, a family that had plenty of divorces. You know, because it's, it's fairly new, I think my kids especially worry about will we be able to integrate down the road? And and you know, every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, there was like people that had kids that were divorced. They're getting along, being fine. Maybe you know, maybe not <laughs> getting into deep conversations with each other, but functioning. You know, and just it's all, you know, you're all still a family. So. Uh, but it's been, you know, it's like being alone is a very, is a new thing for me. That's the main thing that I've had to get used to as somebody who I'm loath to say codependent, but is certainly other oriented in many, many ways, mm. um, which I think, you know, like the golden rule is codependent, mm. you know, that, and it's, it's the basis of our civilization, you know, <laughs> do unto others as you would have them do unto you is like, kind of putting other people's needs before your own. And there's a beauty to that, but there is also can be a pathology to that if you, you know, you take it to an extreme, which I think throughout my life in many ways I have. And it is, you know, it's, I mean, and I, I'm not, I don't mean, I shouldn't, I'm not segueing from that notion of it being too much 
in saying like, it's not a coincidence I'm a sidekick. You know, it's not a coincidence that I'm the guy that goes, oh, do you need all that attention? Well, honey, go get it. I'll be here. I'll be fine. And if you know, and if you want to come back over here and talk, we'll talk, you know. And I was that way from my earliest improv because there's, you know, you're on an improv team and there's people that fucking need it, that like are trying to get something that they didn't get. And um, and my feeling was always like, okay, all right, I'll wait back here. And then eventually learned like, yeah, oh no, I'll wait back here and then I'll still win. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll let, I'll let you so go out there and though. sweat and then yeah. I'll come in and like, you know. Of course, I yeah, just, that's how it works. Yeah, I just You don't have to push or plot and scheme and strive. You don't have to do that. Yeah, like Amy Sedaris was telling me that she was just on my podcast and she was talking about when she was in Second City that she, she said anytime there was an all male scene, she would ha just almost like like a bug in her ear had to break in and do it. And it's like she said, what, she put a wig on backwards. So like would create like this, you know, bangs way up at the top of her forehead and just come in and interrupt with some nonsense and said like, I gotta go get my bangs trimmed when, when they're already like on the top of her head, you know. Um, but so I mean, and that's you know, that's you learn that kind of stuff too. You learn also too, like whether you want to call it Zan or whatever. It's like, especially in performing, the calm is much more satisfying to watch than the storm most of the time, you know, like, especially in a comedy group like that. And well, and it all depends on your ability to say funny things and be funny saying them. Um, but yeah, I've always, I've always kind of not needed it too much and, and was sort of, you know, and from an early age too, I was kind of a caretaker of adults in my life a bit. So, and that became a bit of my identity and I derived like a pleasure from it you know like I derived kind of like a a sense of maturity and a and a sense of superiority too like you know like, oh, these nervous wrecks over here going fucking nuts and I'm just cool as a cucumber I, yeah. you know but you do that for a long long time and then you suddenly realize the question of like what do I want I've never had to really deal with that question because there's oh always God. been people cutting in line ahead of me to say like, look, if you're gonna if you're gonna take a few seconds to pause and think about what you want, let me tell you what I want first. <laughs> you know, and I and I'm and I in my life mm. have been frequently more than willing to say, all right, hon, let's take care of you. Let's let's figure out what you need. And then and also too, like I think for a long time and, but also to a certain extent, and I will never want to lose this. Um, what I want is help and get, you get what you want. Mm -hmm. You know, like that is like, that is something that I do again, derive meaning from. I think you and Nick have a lot in common in this department because I don't think, you know, Nick takes great care of me. I, and he's just that kind of person at, and you're, you're that kind of person you enjoy. And uh, I feel like I, also, I don't feel like you're great at saying what you want or taking the time to, I mean, it's not your, it's not the first thing, it's not your go-to thing. You I know? don't want anything, honey. <laughs> See? <laughs> He's under the bed right now. No, you. I can just barely hear his voice. <laughs> I, I mean, I, it's my mom and dad. Andy put, put it very well that 
making sure not only you as my partner, but whatever situation we're in, especially coming from a farm family, you're brought up with a sensibility. Does everybody have everything they need? Mm-hmm. Does, you know, how many people are coming? How many beers do we have? Mm-hmm. Do we yeah. need to deal with that? And it's, you said something that I, th- I think is interesting um, about people telling you that you're momming maybe more than dad. Yeah, yeah. My, my best friend is, uh, is happily married and has two teenagers. And he's, a, he's an artist, a freelance visual artist. And his wife is a film executive. Mm-hmm. And so from the get-go, he was the, the stay-at-home you know, the, the traditional, uh, yeah. performing traditional mom yes. things of taking the kids to school, cooking. Get, I know a few of those. Yeah, yeah. Doing all that. And he, and it's something that I'm interested in generally is like the breakdown of sort of gender traditional roles. Yeah. Because I think historically, depending on every single given relationship, especially considering many relationships are two men or two women, it's just parenting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's uh, there's there's you're just a good parent, whether yep. it means you're cooking or chopping firewood or like hunting yep. wild boar to feed your kids. Well, and also too, I mean, what what makes that the most important work is that the family is the cellular is the cellular level of society. Mm. That what's wrong with the family is what's wrong with the country and what's wrong with the country, you know. And I do think that like if, if there was just, you know, if there was some way you could wave a magic wand and make people communicate better, act a little less selfishly and just create a more happy family, it would be a better, you know. 100%. The other day we, uh, you know, we were talking about something and talking about education. And I said, I've always thought that preschool age children should be taught spiritual truths period mm-hmm. that's all they should be taught yeah in mixed in with the games and you know yeah playing with toys you, you, from from preschool on children should be or even earlier at home people, children should be taught spiritual truths that would right. help us to circumvent a lot of this bullshit my kids my kids uh both my kids uh went uh, went and continue to go to episcopal schools and we're not religious i'm agnostic uh but it, there is an aspect of it, like a number one. I want my kids to learn something about religion because they're not going to have a good trip to Italy going to the museums because they're not going to know what a pieta is, or they're you know they you like you, it's a cultural touchstone for the Western world. All is, religions, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but yeah, in all religions and and Episcopal schools are very they they celebrate everything basically I you know at school. school did you yeah yeah but the thing that i like mostly about it and i don't know if it was the same in your school is it's citizenship yeah these kids really know citizenship yes. and 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 that's it's a it's really i mean it's got its problems um and it is an la school so there's a certain level of phony bullshit that happens <laughs> But it, I mean, but what I like about it is it seems to be a lot less than a lot of other places. Like there's no VIP seatings at the at the pageant, mm. you know, when the kids <laughs> yeah, come out and sing. Right, yeah. There's schools that have fucking yeah. velvet ropes, yeah. you know, at the fucking, you know. Well, that's something that I think that we, I mean, if I may flatter us and as well as you, but I do think we have that in common that 
living in Los Angeles and being part of this, you know, I guess entertainment industry is what most people call it. Um, there, there is a lot, there are, it takes all kinds, right? Yeah. But you, we're all sort of n not Hollywoody kinds of people. And, um, I don't think we attract those kinds of people. You to don't, us. you don't. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I'm, I'm, I probably wouldn't be here if you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I mean, <laughs> but you're very much, you're very down to earth. You're like a, a regular guy. And, um, when I said that earlier about everyone there, uh, there aren't people below us or above us. I think I was thinking of, uh, I thought you were thinking of that thing that everybody does. It's like, well, I mean, but you're a celebrity. So, you know, you must, and people attribute superhuman qualities or give us these powers that we don't possess. And yeah. We're just bumbling idiots like everyone else. Or make a fuss. I hate it when people oh like God. make a that's, fuss. That's what think, I mean. Like, yeah, that they like, think I that I want some sort of special, special treatment. treatment. Yeah. And oh, it's just it makes my or skin they, crawl. They, there's you know? a reverential quality that with which you're treated, which yeah. is just don't don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you know? I don't like, know what I'm doing either. If I go to U C B and do shows a, I'm always older than everybody yeah. when I do when I do shows there, and some of the like younger people, I mean, I I don't I'm not 27. I don't expect them to be to think that I'm 27. But sometimes I do get the feeling that they like are treating me as some sort of like professor emeritus of show business, yes. and I just am like, no, listen, it's this is I'm you plus time right it's like it's just a, it's a just, continuing yeah. process yeah yeah just <laughs> relax relax yeah. it's fine you know okay so i have remember and i'm sure that this will jog your memory my first time <laughs> on the conan show you said something that has always stuck with me um <laughs> i came out it was my first talk show i was a last minute booking because someone had canceled was this from will and grace was it will yeah, and grace just started it yeah, was yeah. yeah and i happened to be in new york i was there for some kind of press i don't know what i was doing but anyhow i ended up on the show and uh, i was a huge fan of the show so i was thrilled and i couldn't believe it. i thought when when my publicist called to tell me i was booked i i said this this got i'm sure this is a mistake so please double check yeah. because i don't want to show up and they're like who are you so I, I came on and conan was talking about my name and how irish it is and you said it, he said megan mullally and we were making jokes off of that and you said middle name potato <laughs> so of course I've always remembered it. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. a great that's a fucking great joke. <laughs> that's the saddle, the subtle part. Megan P. She just usually says P. <laughs> Megan P. Malawi. What's the P for? Mm, potato. <laughs> All the Irish stuff. I also do like have a have a interesting relationship with Irish culture. Because a, you know, they they don't get any more Irish than he does, and there are times there are times like when I look at his face, and it is like that face does not belong in this century. No, yeah. That he face is be yeah, in a he bog should be, yeah somewhere. exactly in a bog with like covered in tweed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But also too in Chicago, Irish culture is like it's almost oppressive at a at a point. And um, did you you didn't live in did you come from Chicago? 
I, I grew up in a town called Yorkville, which is 60 miles west. Oh, and you're kind of Kankakee that. area, right, aren't you? Halfway between. Uh, Manuka is just... Uh, oh, Manuka. I know Manuka. It's it's right. I, I remember Manuka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I lived in Chicago. Because we played football against Manuka a, couple, oh. a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were... I went to Northwestern, and then I lived in Chicago for many years and did theater. Yeah. So we all have that. Yeah, common. yeah. On the occasion that we would play Yorkville in sports, it was a much bigger school. Yeah. So it was, you know, imagine a team of Nick Offerman's versus a team of Andy Richter's, mm-hmm. which is normal sized people versus yeah, yeah. Herculean Although giants. There were there was a town, there was a little tiny town called Norway. Guess what? A lot of the people were Norwegian, and uh, and in fact that was because. We were Swedish and we would, you know, that we, well, I mean, we're lots of everything, but we chose to celebrate the Swedish stuff because it's a lot less problematic than celebrating the German part. Uh, you know, there's a little, there's a little few dings in the German part. Um, we're mainly Swedish. Yeah, we're mostly Swedish. Yeah, exactly. Like, like fucking Trump. You know, he's straight up kraut and he's like, oh, I'm Swedish, you know. Oh, God. Uh, but, uh, in Norway too was where we would go to get our lutefisk at Christmas time. Do you guys know lutefisk? No, I know I what it is. Never yeah, yeah. Go anywhere near lutefisk. I know what you're talking. It's about. cod. Yeah, it's lye cured cod no. that you cook all day in a cream sauce. I'm out. It oh, it was the <laughs> most vile shit. But my step grandfather was pure Swede mm-hmm. and hated it. But like, it's like one of those punishment foods that people have to submit themselves to because of their cultural identity, you know. Um, but Norway, tiny nothing town, kicked everybody's ass in, ba- ass in basketball because they were all like seven foot tall Vikings. You know? mm-hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, it would, it, you could really, you could tell the difference. The size of the school would relate to the size of the people too. Mm-hmm. Did you play, in, uh, did you play football? I did, yeah. Yeah. That- I played baseball, basketball, and football, but football was my best sport. Yeah. But it was, uh, I forget the classifications, but we were, you know, uh, two or three A. Yeah, yeah. And Yorkville was like five A. Yeah. Um, and so... I, but Yorkville still was small, you know, relative, yeah. Sure, yeah, compared to the suburbs. Yeah. Um, Where'd you go to college? I know where you went. You went to... Champaign-Urbana. Went to Champaign. I went to Champaign-Urbana for two years. Oh, oh no way. See, yeah. I thought maybe you did. I went, That's yeah, uh, 84 to 86. And I started there... Uh, I knew I wanted to do something creative, but as I'm sure you know, coming from Manuka... Like, when did you when did you really believe that you could make a living as an actor coming from Manuka? Well, it, I mean, it's a huge part of my origin story is that the world said you can't go in, like, pe- you don't go into the arts. People yeah. don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Same. I have, uh, I took a girlfriend uh, to an audition at the University of Illinois. Uh-huh. And I fortuitously met a couple theater students where I was like, hang on, what's this? And they said, yeah, basically I found out you can get a degree in doing plays and you can go to Chicago and get paid to be in plays. And this was a such an epiphany, and I was like, I knew it. I knew you could go into the arts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I went. Had you done s- plays in school? Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I, but I, you know, I was a junior at the time in high school when you're supposed to pick your college and be picking your career path, and just th- literally the entire world was like, well, no, you can't go into entertainment. That's yeah, not, it's yeah. not done. No one's ever done it. Yeah, it's like saying you want to be an astronaut. Right. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, so that was, I came from that too, that very same thing. 
And I was even, I wanted to be an actor, but I couldn't admit it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it seemed far as the Midwestern phrase of uh, tooting your own horn. Mm -hmm. It was too, too self-aggrandizing. So I thought, well, I'll be a writer. Cause I, you know, I, I, I was always the funny kid and I always had ideas and I'm a, and I'm a good writer, you know, just, and so I was like, I'll do writing. So high school guidance counselor, you're, it's your, where are you going to go to college? What are you going to study conversation? And I say, I want to be a writer. And he goes, oh, so journalism then. It's like, no, I don't really, not journalism. I said more like, you know, like sort of creative writing or he said, or maybe even for TV shows or movies. And he went, do journalism. I mean, you can do that stuff on the side. Mm -hmm. And brave soul that I was, I went, okay, I'll do journalism. Yeah. So I started at U of I and I was going to go into their journalism school, which is a program that their college communications doesn't start till your junior year. So I was just going to do liberal arts and sciences. And that's what I did for the first two years. And early on into my sophomore year, you go and you meet a dean at the college of communications and sort of talk about, you know, you have to maintain a good GPA, which I had, and sort of talk about what you're in for in the next year and to kind of place into classes and things. And I told her what I was interested in. She said, you know, we're going to train you to be a reporter. And I said, I don't really want to be a reporter. Um, and, and I said, I, I said, I really would rather sort of like write fictional things. I said, or maybe even, you know, you know, documentary kind of things. I said, or essays, but I don't want to be a reporter. And she said, oh, well, you shouldn't be at this school. And I was like, oh, should I be in the... College of Fine Arts, like learning creative writing, or English, learning creative writing. She goes, no, no, you shouldn't be at U of I. <laughs> She's like, if you want to write for television and movies, you should go to film school. And to that point, I had never, I was going to go to four years of college at University of Illinois. And it was like, she hit me in the face with a bat. I was just stunned. And I walked out and less than a minute later, I, she's right. So I went to, I couldn't afford either coast, so I went to Columbia College in Chicago and went to film school at Columbia oh. College, which at the time was way shittier than it is now. It's really come up. It's really something now. And they have a LA campus. You know, they didn't have any kind of like LA Chicago pipeline. Although they, they do, they did have some, I think it started when people started to come out here and be successful, mm -hmm. uh, that they, that then it sort of created this kind of pipeline back and forth. And, you know, as you guys were talking about not really knowing or being allowed to think that you could have a career in the arts, um, I felt like I could have a career in the arts, but I was embarrassed to really be aggressive or, you know, not aggressive, but I still don't want to even say the word aggressive because it embarrasses me. <laughs> but I didn't, I, I was, uh, when I, I took an acting class at the, the beginning of my freshman year. And, and where I is this? dropped out of it at Northwestern. Uh -huh. And I dropped out of it because I found it profoundly embarrassing. Oh. I didn't Oof. understand what a theater kid was, and I didn't know how to roll around on the floor and pretend I was something else. But I'm wondering, you know, having established that we all had that affliction to one degree or another, if that is something that is is disappearing now because of the internet and yes. youtube and everybody grows up on camera they're being 
filmed by their parents and then once they're old enough to have a phone they're filming themselves yeah so i wonder if that's even a thing now yeah does every is everybody just like no i'm gonna be a big star so get out of my way oh, or, yeah. or what even i mean remember you and i talking about it many years ago when reality tv hit and you suddenly were that the, uh popular entertainment could suddenly go into your house past you to your great aunt mm -hmm. smoking on the porch and and suddenly real mm -hmm. humans were revealed in a way that when we were growing up the thing we were battling was like oh no 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 that's like that's unattainable but it's also beneath our yeah. value system yeah 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 you don't want to go into sh like showbiz was synonymous kind of with working at a strip club i think yeah in yeah. my hometown yeah and now well, and also i mean i think there's a thing too it's like it's full of gays and Jews. Yeah. You know what I think mean? that from a small town, like that's like, you know, aren't there a bunch of queers? Like, I, I was an altar boy. Hell yes, there are. Right. Let me at them. My, my, <laughs> my priest at my church when I, uh, at the Catholic church where I was an altar boy and I read the, the gospel readings. So I was, I was like the favored son of our church. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, it came out that I was gonna go to theater school. And he, after mass the next Sunday, he took me aside and said, you know, I just want to make sure you're aware there's a lot of like casual sex and drugs in the world of, of the arts. And my eyes lit up and I was like, fantastic. I, I suspected as much. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for confirming it, Father yeah. Tony. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thanks for everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
Positively True Adventures of the Texas Cheerleader Murdering Mom. You remember yes, that yes. woman that hired oh, yeah. a hitman to yeah. kill her rival, you know, a rival mom. Mm -hmm. And Holly Hunter was the star of it. Yeah. And it was directed by Michael Ritchie, who directed Smile. So, I, I mean, I was already like, wow. And I came in and read for him. And there was a little, a little montage of, because Bo Bridges plays the guy that she, it's like her ex-brother-in-law that she hires to kill. And he goes to the police and apparently this guy did have to go to the police numerous times to get them to believe it. And he recorded her. So there was a montage of three different sheriff's officers here, you know, saying like, all right, we'll keep an eye on this. So it's just one little scene. I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. Mm -mm. I showed up, you know, I showed up. I got put into a sheriff's uniform, severely scolded to not play with my dummy rubber gun okay <laughs> like you know if you take it out of the holster you'll get sent home uh, okay but i mean if, if they really don't want me to do that is because i would have had that thing out all day long you know sure. a rubber a rubber colt 45 mm. that's oh boy forget about i wish i had one right now uh, um, Open but, that bedside drawer my friend <laughs> i throw it in intruders uh but I didn't, I, my scene was with Swoozie Kurtz and Bo Bridges and like, and they did their side first and they go like, oh. all right, coming around. And I'm like, what is that? What does that mean? <laughs> and then like, oh, 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 I see. Okay. That now they're going to, now they're doing my, they're my single, which you, I mean, and I've been to film school, so I knew the concept of you get the wide and then you go in for the close-ups, but I still was like not fully aware. And then film school, we never did like off camera lines or stuff. Um, which I will say, you hear lots of stories about people talking about how, like I just watched Anatomy of a Murder and uh, George C. Scott, that was one of his first movies. And he said that Jimmy Stewart would do his off-camera lines for him. He said 100% every single time. And he's, he really learned from that. And, uh, and, Bo Bridges, he was not of that school. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I like uh, he like barely tried and mumbled so much that I was kind of like, and it being my first time, I was like, is that like a sound thing? Like, does he not want to like get make sound? But oh, like, yeah. He just, I think he was annoyed <laughs> that he had to, you know, like sit on set with this fucking kid and and do lines for him. That's so fun. Yeah, yeah. What, what an amazing first job, though, with Swoosie. Oh, oh, absolutely. And, and Holly Hunter, like, hmm. went to the table read and, you know, and she was, like, really, like, hey, hi, how are you? You know, and chatted with me a little bit. And then on the day of, we were shooting at some high school in the Valley. And I went and sat. There was a bunch of uh, sheriff's department extras, a bunch of guys in sheriff's uniforms. And I went and sat at this picnic table outside where they were all kind of hanging out. And Holly Hunter was going into the school to do another scene or coming out at one or the other. And she walked by the table of all of us and she went like, hey, there are you to me, which like, and then walk, you know, and we exchanged a few words and then I, they walked away and I looked back at all the other extras and they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, I have lines. <laughs> I have about four lines, so. Yeah. yeah, no, it felt like, it felt like, uh, I felt like a contest winner mm -hmm. at that point. Yeah. Of course. And then the next thing I did was Cabin Boy. And that was another big learning. Wow. A uh, learning. Uh, That's legendary. Yeah. And I mean, and to work with 
uh, Chris Elliott and Adam Resnick was just uh, just a dream. That was really really fun, and you know, a wolf at the time woefully underappreciated movie, um, but really I know. fun. No, I mean, people really loved that movie. I mean, it was maybe not. Maybe it was more, was it like a cult kind of a thing? It was, yeah. yeah. And it got terrible reviews. Well, like, and Chris Elliott told me, he's, he said, like, because his humor is very much like you're either inside it or, or you're the one being made fun of. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, and he, he said to me, he said, like, people either love me or absolutely hate me. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's, that's like, there's not like people that are kind of lukewarm about Chris Elliott's humor. Like, you have to be in on the smart assness of it or or you feel like like what's going you know like when you like it's like hearing people speak a a foreign gibberish like it's some sort of made-up language and like what are you saying what are you talking about i don't understand it is this about me and uh and frequently it probably is you know with chris (laughs) elliott and his humor yeah um and you guys did basically well how wait was that that was after he'd been on Letterman. Show. Oh, yeah. Oh, and on, on Letterman, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, this was his. Um, he had done the show Get a Life. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. So it was way later. Yeah. Right. And uh, and then and then they did this movie. And and uh, Adam Resnick, who wrote it, wasn't gonna direct it. And then um, I think like Tim Burton was supposed to direct it, and then couldn't. So Adam ended up directing it. Uh, when the original Conan show was on, um, did you what, what were your feelings about Letterman? Because we we love him, loved him, yeah, absolutely loved him. Was a hero. Was like a you know was there again somebody that showed me a way to be funny that I hadn't been seeing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and in a way that that I could relate to. I'm like oh, that's kind of like the way I like to be funny, mm-hmm. and you know, and just was it was. And that show was really, really weird for its time and really uh, of its own thing. It was not, you know, it was, I think, perhaps the first self-aware talk show that wasn't just sort of, you know, Gina Lola Brigida being sexy and Johnny Carson, you know, Mm -hmm. tapping a pencil. It was like, no, it's sort of like, it understood the artificiality of the environment, I think. And uh, and also, he's just kind of, you know, he's super funny. He's just super witty and funny and dry. And uh, David Letterman's humor was never about him coming to you. It was about you coming right, to him. Right, that's right. He was, he was on his feet. will throw you a lifeline. Yeah. Or Conan and you. But, you know, David Letterman wouldn't do that. If you were you know, digging yourself a big grave, he would just let you keep digging. And, you know, to go on his show, and I had a period where I was in favor, you know, and to go on his show and have him laugh at anything you said or be nice to you in a commercial break was such a big deal. Absolutely. It really... Yeah, he... he, uh, The first time I was on on the show, in the commercial break... Uh, paid me a really, you know, just a really wonderful compliment about just how, you know, like how good I was at what I did. And uh, segment producer said he rarely even speaks to people in the commercial. Yeah, that's so, yeah. true. Mm-hmm. So, and he did, he also said the same thing um, uh, for Andy Richter Controls the Universe. I went on there to promote that. And he said, 
he was very, very complimentary about what a good show it was, which is like, it's you know. Amazing. He yeah. came on He came on the Conan show because it was rough in the beginning. You know, Lorne Michaels was in favor. Lorne Michaels would go in and out of favor. Mm-hmm. And Lorne Michaels originally wanted Conan to run the late night Letterman's replacement show. And Conan was very firm. I don't want anything to do with it unless you let me host it. Mm -hmm. And I think he eventually, you know, I think Lauren would tell you that it was his savvy understanding. Mm -hmm. It it was just Conan's drive Mm -hmm. and Conan's insistence, you know, I think. Um, But they, uh, they were not nice to us. And there was actually apparently, and we were totally unaware of this, uh, Conan and Jeff Ross did a very good job in the early days of parenting in terms of like, you know, we were being evicted and they didn't let the kids know, you know, like we kind of just, we didn't have the idea, but because we were literally being renewed week to week at one point and nobody knew that. And there was a Friday where there was some day where we were, they said, you're done because they were grooming Greg Kinnear. Apparently Greg Kinnear did some test shows out here that were just awful. (laughs) And so they fired us. Greg Kinnear did a couple the next day did a couple of test shows. I mean, I think this is the chronology of it. It was awful that they're like came back on like, all right, you can keep doing the show, you know. <laughs> and at a certain point, maybe a, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was a couple of years in. Letterman came on the show and uh, sat there and said, "This show is fantastic. This show, like, and and I appreciated this." He said just the amount of comedy that's in this show. Cause we, especially in the early days, it was, we would, you know, like before you would come out, mm-hmm. we would have a little, you know, one minute bit. Like, whereas now it's like, no, just talk to the person for another minute. Why are you gonna stay up till one o'clock <laughs> you, in the morning editing you something? You have several really elaborate bits that you did before any guests and sometimes in between guests or at the end of the show. Yeah. Absolutely. We put comedy all because we were like, you know, well, we're young and trying to, you know, trying to stay afloat and and not really knowing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And also we're just excited, excited to just throw it all out there. You know, I mean, that's the the immediacy of of it, of that kind of show. I mean, there's pros and cons to every kind of every kind of show that you can do in, in television. But one of the pros of this is is the immediacy of it and and the fact that especially once you're up and running the the conduit from your brain to the television can be very uninterrupted mm-hmm. like after you know you can't you, you know you learn what you can't do but you also you, you also can kind of once you get some sort of they become comfortable with you, you can do whatever, you know, you can kind of do whatever you want within reason. Mm -hmm. And when I went back to work for Conan for the Tonight Show, that was one of the things that like I had missed because I had been here developing shows, develop, you know, you get notes on a script, you work on them for a week and then you say, okay, we're done. They're like, oh, you know, Eileen's in Maui for two weeks. So she's not gonna read it for two weeks. So right. you just sit and wait and wait and wait. And then they eventually, you know, the swine throw your pearls back at you, you know? <laughs> um, and and it just gets, I was just sick of it. I was just sick of trying to get a show on the air. Uh, and I was also intensely aware that I had been the star 
air quotes, the number one on the call sheet on three different shows. And, you know, failures that come in threes, Mm -hmm. you know, and I say failure in a self-knowing kind of way because I was the star of three network television shows. I'm not a failure, but, you know, but, but, you know, it's capitalism. Success is the only thing that really should be remembered, you know, supposedly. So uh, I kind of was like, yeah, I don't know. And I also had this feeling that like, Maybe number one on the call sheet isn't where I should be, and right. I can, and I'm fine with that. I, you know, I don't, I, I tried doing stand up for a while, and I quit doing it because I don't like being on stage alone. I just decided I don't like being on stage alone. Mm-hmm. I, it's just like I don't need this. I don't need, and especially like the saying the same things like that a lot of stand ups do of like working on and then doing this half hour and going around and doing this half hour over and over and over. Well, you've come from appeal. improv. Yeah, it's exactly. Be any more the exactly. And if I had started in stand up, it might be different, but I just got conditioned to, well, the drug of improv, basically, mm-hmm. you know. And what about having, uh, what about, you know, having a partnership that's lasted this long? Yeah. With another person? Yeah. I mean, that just doesn't happen. It doesn't. And it's great. I mean, it, well, and we also, well, we had a break there in the middle, you know, when I kind of, because I'd been on the show for seven years in 2000, and I just kind of felt like I was walking over ground that was covered with my footprints over and over and over, and that I wasn't doing anything new. Mm-hmm. I also, too, a man, I get antsy. Seventy seven years, at that point in my life, I hadn't, I, I would say the only thing I've done uh, for seven years continuously is be white and male like i hadn't you know i hadn't been married for seven years i hadn't gone to any school i hadn't lived in anyone you know anyone house or something it's just it was like seven years is a long time so i was just also itchy Mm -hmm. and then i uh i also too thought i have enjoyed what at that time too you know relative to most of the incredibly talented people i knew a tremendous amount of success and I want to see if maybe I can expand upon that rather than just sit here and just kind of be like, oh, this is enough. I wanted to see if like maybe I could trade it into something else. And I also wanted to act. I'm, I'm still in this. I miss acting. I really miss acting. Um, and and, and, I, I, and that, that, that continues to be a struggle for me. That continues to be something where. I don't know what I'm going to do about that because it re- I really do miss it. And I also do, I love working on, uh, I love that kind of production. I love, I still have a childlike wonderment at the fact that we put all kinds of stuff in a bunch of trucks and then we drive out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and we blow up a car, you know, it's just, it's fucking thrilling to me. It's like the circus or something. And I still get like, Walking around a studio lot, it's there's always a low level of thrill of just being there, of just being there and being around all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, there is something about being on a lot. You it's never just, quite get over yeah, it. Yeah, it's yeah. just, it's like the dream factory, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a cog in the gears of the dream factory. Are you musical also? Uh, I like music, but I don't... I. My attention was never long enough to learn how to play an instrument. Have you ever noticed that most people who work in comedy can sing or yeah. are musical? Yeah, yeah. 
Isn't that interesting? I have been to karaoke with comedy people and been like, what the fuck? Yeah. You could do that you for a living. You could really do yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, you were there that night. Thank I, you. I was. <laughs> I was. I was. Uh, that was some of the... Some of the finest, uh, like look at like Maya Rudolph, <laughs> Joni Mitchell I've ever heard. But look at Maya Rudolph, for example. She yeah. just came to mind. Um, she could have had a career. Yeah. Well, she's got it in her genes too. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 Um, her mom was yeah. a singer. Yeah. No, I think it's just you know you kind of. I mean, well, some people are better better at it than others, better singers than others, but uh, or musicians. But yeah, it is. I mean, it, it's a. Uh, there is some kind of overlap. And there's also an overlap, which I'm sure you guys all know, among musicians and comedians. There's like a really wonderful overlap that happens. And it usually, here in LA, it happens at places like at Largo, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where there's like, and I have, like Amy Mann is a, is a, is a good friend of mine mm -hmm. and, and her husband, Michael. And it's like, they're really funny people, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. and, and Amy's really hilarious, uh, really, you know, she's very dry, but like she just as for, you know, I just, I know her cause she likes being around comedians mm -hmm. and right. you know, I, and I, boy, I get that. That was one of, that was one of the best things about going to film school and then, uh, starting to do improv going to film school was the first step of like oh these are my people mm. like these weirdos like the kid with the black lipstick is just me with black lipstick mm -hmm. and and like i have more in common with him than i do with a lot of the people that are supposedly just like me in the town that i grew up in right. and then when i started improv that was just a mind blower where it was like you know, like a Dr. Seuss story where all of a sudden everybody had the same mark on their stomach as me, you know? And uh, and just to find that, to find your tribe is just, a, I just, I was talking on my podcast about that with somebody, like how important that is and how, and just how like profoundly satisfying it is and settling and then you feel like you're on the on the earth for a reason like you were lost and now you're found you know mm -hmm. yeah to find your purpose yeah yeah and also too it's just fun it's so much fun like you're the way your priest said like the improv just doing the improv you know doing improv in chicago and going to parties and doing mushrooms or just like you, you know drinking for 24 straight hours or something with hilariously funny people. Yeah. yeah, when I was younger, if I was ever friends with someone or dating someone who, when I did a bit, said, you're so weird, then I was like, okay. Bye. Yeah, Next. yeah. Next. Yeah. yeah, or like to do a funny voice and like, who's that guy? It's just a funny voice, well, dude. Like, <laughs> just, just keep moving. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, you know. it's interesting, though, for me, because I've, I, I, and I think maybe... Maybe you're the same that um, I'm pointing at Nick. I know you can't see that because it's a P cast. Um, but I th I went for a really long time being an actor, and it's different from working in comedy. Even yeah. though I worked on comedies, because a lot of people who traditionally have done sitcoms, maybe not sitcoms that are being cast at this moment, but mm -hmm. sitcoms that were cast years ago, 
they cast actors to do comedy who ne they weren't necessarily hilariously funny. Yeah. And they would have all could have also been cast in some bad hour drama. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until um, Will and Grace and then Nick and I met and we started uh, kind of meeting some UCB people, going to some UCB shows and yeah. meeting those people. And then soon thereafter, um, Children's Hospital. Well, was that the first? No. Party Down was a, was seminal. Yeah, Party Down. Party oh, Down Party so Down. good. Yeah, I did a scene. If, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Party Down, I think yeah. it's on Hulu now. Yeah. But you got it. It's just like Adam Scott and Lizzie Cohen. Kaplan. 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 Lizzie Kaplan. They're, the chemistry of them, like their sort of, their, their on-screen romance in terms of like the romantic center. Okay. Yeah, that, it's the best that it's ever been. Yes. The, you know, Sam and Diane, forget them. It, mm -mm. you know, or. Jim and Pam. Jim and Pam. <laughs> that is like, it's just so winning and so charming. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that it, it happened a little later, maybe somewhere toward the end of Will and Grace the first time around and then definitely after Will and Grace where we started meeting all these people who really worked in comedy and then started realizing that those were our people. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I feel like it, for me, it was a, a big moment when we were living in New York. You were doing Young Frankenstein on Broadway, mm -hmm. astonishingly. <laughs> uh, I saw it. I saw it twenty-five times. He it was literally, literally saw it twenty-five. Really, times. if you can ever see Megan Mullally perform musical comedy on stage, there's some. She, she has an Ethel Merman machine inside of her. Yeah, yeah. That she fires up the the ten k yeah. light. It's crazy. I yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's, and you have a beautiful voice too. You have a beautiful singing voice. Thank you. That's something you could do as a standalone thing. You know. Yeah, I, I have. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, but I mean. Oh you yeah, know, definitely. Like, I I actually consider myself more of a musician than I do an actor. Oh really? Yeah, definitely. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And nobody knows. I mean, now you know. Yeah. That's three of us, but um. And the PCast. <laughs> The PCAST audience. The PCAST audience. Well, it's, it's something, it's interesting actually, because um, I had this th theater company in Chicago called the Defiant Theater, and some of these people were as hilarious as anybody I've ever known. Yeah. So smart and funny. Um, but none of us, we did, it wasn't the right time or place. We didn't have the wherewithal to make it happen to a further thing. Yeah. So the company sort of tapered away. Yeah. I moved on to Los Angeles, um, and Megan too. Like we both, we've talked about how we clung to our sense of individual weirdness in whatever auditions we'd go to. It'd be like, uh, I think uh, I'm going to wear this weird hat, and, yeah. and they're like, "Could you let's do it without the hat?" And be like, "No, mm -hmm. I know you're seeing all these other dudes. Like the hat is my thing." Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And around this time of Young Frankenstein, which was oh seven oh eight. Ish. It was, yeah. It, we we were on Broadway for 08, basically, when we were out of town, end of 07. So, uh, at the time, I'd been working, you know, as an unknown, like, journeyman actor. Yeah. Uh, mainly in more dramatic stuff, mm -hmm. our dramas and movies. A lot of heavies in those days, right? Some heavies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it occur just occurred to me, uh, sort of, that... You know what? There was a couple of Will Ferrell movies. There was the basketball movie. Semi-pro, yeah. Semi-pro. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
you uh, are you a referee? No, I'm his like right hand man. Right, right, right. Know, they're again codependent. They are. Yeah, <laughs> of course you are. Um, th- that happened, and there was another. I forget. There was another film that needed like the whole cast was firemen. So a couple of things came up where I was like, "Why am I not? Surely there's something I can read for." Yeah, yeah. In these movies that are, that are auditioning, you know, seventy-two male roles. Yes. Or whatever. Yes. And and it dawned on me at age thirty-seven <laughs> that I was like, "Oh, I'm not considered." A comedy person, yeah, yeah, by the business because it, they are so specialized, and so I called Amy Poehler, who I'd known for years, and said, "Hey, I need to go to your UCB theater and like do things. get on the list yeah, of yeah. people who are involved in comedy." So she just had me. She was like, "Just go do the Ascat show where you do monologues." Yeah, and there's another great show called Gravid Water that I began yes. doing, and so for me that it was as though. I had put up a shingle, and the town was like, "Oh, Offerman's put up his shingle. He's, he's striking out in comedy." Yeah, yeah. I was like, "No, I'm a fucking actor. Like, I'll, like, if if you come from straight theater, you do the broadest comedy to the craziest Shakespeare and yeah. every, everything in between." Yeah. But it took that gesture. Yep. And all of a sudden, the whole business was like, "Oh." Let's look at you for some comedies, right. and then within a year, Parks and Rec started. Yeah, yeah, and I, uh, I had been on Well and Grace, but, and so people thought of me as being funny, and I started thinking of myself as being funny or more funny than was maybe a- average funny, and um, but it wasn't really till the till Well and Grace ended that I did a show that was completely improvised. Uh-huh. I had never done improv. Yeah. I was too scared to do it or sketch comedy for that matter. And and I realized I was actually pretty good at it. And ever since then, every other show I've done outside of Will and Grace, um, they not only welcome improvisation, but they almost expect it. Yeah. And if you're not able to do it, it's sort of a, a, a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that also changed me, and it it all it changed the people that I was drawn to and who were drawn to me, and it's it our now our whole circle of friends is not our entire circle of friends, but they're primarily people who come from comedy. It's yeah, and it what the a best life people you what know a it's, life. it's it's like very caring and sharing compared yeah. to any other branch of the entertainment industry. Yeah. People really, uh, you know, it's people are supportive of mm-hmm. each other. They'll give you, you give somebody a job in your show, they give you a job in their show. Yep. It's a, it's a lot less competitive, and I love that. And I do think it, I do think that there is somewhat of a qualitative difference between uh, people that are in comedy that sort of sketch based, improv based, or comedic acting kind of things and say like a stand-ups like stand-ups are kind of their own capsules yes and they they mix kind of well together but they don't but they're not used to playing with others um as as their bread and butter so i do think that like i do i have i have number of stand-ups that are dear friends and and they are every bit as funny as any improv person every bit as kind and warm 
But there's also like, and I mean, it's a cliche about the stand-up that comes off stage and it's like on stage, it's a party, but off stage, it's a funeral, right. uh, you know? Right. And, uh, <laughs> and there, yeah. that, that kind of does exist. And I think it's, that's much less so in, in the more collaborative comedy forms, you mm-hmm. know, because they honestly, it's like, it's amazing that we make a living at this. It's ridiculous that we make a living at this. And it's, but you, that's not like why you, you didn't start doing it because you want to be on the SNL or on a sitcom. Started it because Jesus Christ, this is fun. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, you know, it's like somebody that's good at playing basketball. You want to play basketball with people that can really shoot, you know? Well, yeah, whatever your life situation, uh, you, I think it naturally occurs to you purely organically that, oh, something, the, the the general mood can be improved here. Yeah. I have this funny feeling, you guys, oops, I fell down. Everyone laughs. You're like, oh, I know, I know why I was sent here. Yes, yes. To get out the banana peels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think it's time, sadly, to... I know, it seems like... Down, kick me out of your bed. Do this for... On this very, very extra super special episode of In Bed with Nick and Megan. The beloved number one world famous podcast, um, <laughs> starring Mr. Nick Offerman. What up? Featuring featured guest player Megan Mullally, but guest starring the one and only our dear friend, the lovable, funny, smart, and talented Mr. Andy Richter. Thank you for having me. Oh, so much fun! Thank you for you know. Let me sweat up your bed. You're, 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 <laughs> I know, it's a little hot in here. Yeah. Uh, we have to turn the, the air conditioning yes, off. Yes, earlier in the day, it gets a little we'll get the sun. sweaty. And yeah. Because we, we have to, yes. But later in the day, beautiful. So next yeah. time, later in the day. I bet there's a lot of sweating goes on in this room. Uh, well. Yeah. Welcome. You know uh, it's too well. My, in my classic sign-off. Peace to all the good people of the planet Earth. My classics, it's too long. My classic sign off. <laughs> what about the bad people? Fuck them. Yeah. 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 Wow. All right. They're included. In- <laughs> good night. In Bed with Nick and Megan is an Earwolf production. It's produced by Megan Mullally, Kevin Bartelt, and Michael Landry. Executive produced by Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon. Music by Nancy and Beth, which can be found at www.nancyandbeth.com. If you enjoyed In Bed with Nick and Megan, make sure to rate it and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Hey, Nick. Oh, hello. Do we always agree on every single thing? Um, yeah. I feel like we do. Yeah. There must be something we disagree on. Would you say that this episode is brought to you by Sleep Number? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So, yes. So, yes. So far, so good. We're at 100%. But I feel like there are couples who don't always agree on every single thing. Yeah. I could be wrong. No, I've read about them in theatrical drama plays. Mm Mm-hmm. I think um, maybe... Back in the 19th century, it was more prevalent. I think couples now almost always agree on everything. Yeah. I mean, there's um, there's an example, though, that I think a lot of people can relate to, the TV show The Honeymooners. Mm. 
they get along only some of the time. And some of the time, um, the man threatens uh, to bang Zoom uh, his wife. Well... Because of their disagreement. I, I think that's absolutely correct. But I feel like it's too bad that sleep number beds weren't around in the 1950s. Oh, yeah. Because then the honeymooners would have had perfect... Um, oh, track man. records. Yeah, I mean, because I think it was all about the fact that they couldn't find the right mattresses that they you know, both liked at the same time. The, the great Jackie Gleason could not get to sleep, and so he was cranky. Yeah, he was cranky. Um, I feel like the key for them would have been the sleep number bed because you can adjust both sides. So there's two people in the bed, right? Right. My side is one way, your side. There's another way. That, I mean, that's pretty crazy because I believe I've been told by them that nine out of ten couples prefer two different mattress firmnesses. So you can get from feather soft to rock hard. You can adjust Mm -hmm. each side of your sleep number mattress to a different setting so that it's just right for both of you. Well, you like your mattress a little softer mm. I like mine quite firm yeah so this is how I get maybe we did disagree on something if our mattresses sides are different but I mean it was a peaceful disagreement yeah I mean but now we can't we don't even have that yeah we can agree we can disagree to agree that our sleep number mattress Makes us sleep like cute little babies. Oh, so cute. Um, Well, any other couples out there who might be having a disagreement over their mattress mattress firmness or lack thereof should hightail it over to Sleep Number. Go to a Sleep Number store and pick yourself out a mattress that will be the perfect fit for both of you we actually did it the the employees at the sleep number store they were like get out it's kind of fun it's we like for like two hours D- disneyland or knott's berry farm or any other place that has rides except the ride is a bed and the thrilling part is that they uh, adjust the firmness to find your sleep number and they tip it up and down and it's wild they baby like eight beds in there we laid in every bed yeah for a long time. Nick fell asleep in one of them. That's true. Uh, yeah, so using us as your sleeping examples, I think that we can help you kids solve all of your problems. We can... Starting uh, with your mattress. Yeah, we can We can find common ground. Cute. As twere. Nick and I both would like for you to discover smart, effortless comfort with the sleep number... 360 smart bed. That's right. This is not a bed. It's proven quality sleep. Come in now and save up to $900 on select Sleep Number 360 smart beds for a limited time only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com slash in bed. Good night.